Hey there, photographers. Did you know there are four different levels that most photography businesses go through? Well, I want to share those levels with you and give you some tips to help you get to consistent $2,000 sales as quickly as possible. And even if you're just starting out, well, it's probably within reach for you too. So join me for this free live training where we are going to talk about those four different levels and what's required to move from one level to the other to help you making more money in your business right now. I hope you'll join me. Just click the link below to register for free. Welcome to the Hair of the Dog podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Bagley, and we are in the middle of a mega replay series from all of our favorite podcast guests. And as well, they are actually speakers for the upcoming Hair of the Dog Summit that is going to be going down September 13th through 15th, and you are going to want to join us. Jump on over to www.petphotographysummit.com to grab your $17 ticket. Um, Not only that, that $17 is 100% donated to the Hair of the Dog Conservation Fund to help wild animals throughout the planet. If you're going to be busy those days, or if you want to be able to watch these recordings again, or listen to them in a private podcast feed, or get your hands on the over $3,000 of incredible speaker bonuses, well, then you're going to want to upgrade to get the VIP all access pass, which is only an additional $97. Well worth it because I'm telling you, this year's speaker lineup is incredible. I'm so excited. I think it's the best we've ever had. Gosh, I say that every year, but Truly, I think every year continues to get better. So go over to www.petphotographysummit.com, grab your ticket, upgrade to that VIP all access pass. And in the meantime, enjoy this conversation with Jeff Brown. He is based out of the UK. He's an incredible photographer, and now he is an incredible photography coach that helps people get those schedules, fill it up so that they have a lot of incredible, wonderful clients. You're going to love this conversation in his talk during the summit is about how we can utilize our website better to get more leads and sales and clients. Uh, You're not going to want to miss it. Again, enjoy this conversation and go grab your summit ticket. Welcome to the Hair of the Dog podcast. If you're a pet photographer ready to make more money and start living a life by your design, you've come to the right place. And now your host, pet photographer, travel addict, chocolate martini connoisseur, Nicole Begley. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Hair of the Dog podcast. I am your host, Nicole Begley. And today we have an incredible guest. I am so excited to have him here with me to um, chat with you guys about all sorts of goal setting, time, productivity things. It is Mr. Jeff Brown, all the way over there from the UK. And his business is focused on marketing, but a lot of people know him as the photographer's mentor. So Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be on. Yeah, yeah. So excited to have you here. Before we get started, I always kind of love to get the background a little bit of from our um, guests of how you got into photography and and kind of what your photographic journey has been like. Yeah, well, um, so so I've always loved photography. So when I was a young lad, I used to do a lot of fishing and fishing meant getting up early on the morning, beautiful sunrises. So got myself a, a little Instamatic camera and got into that that way. And then my journey progressed to buying. My first camera, which is a Canon AE1, uh, and you know, film photography. And then I went on later to work for Dixon's Camera Shops in the UK, 
and I was there for about two years. Then one crazy day, I walk. I went to Newcastle to buy a shirt from a from a from a, a shop, a shop, just a dress shirt. Yeah. And I didn't actually. Do it. I went in, I bought the shirt, and I came out the shirt, and right next door to the the shirt, the shop was a, 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 a armed forces careers office. Uh-huh. And I just, on the spur of the moment, I thought, I'm just going to pop in and have a look. And I popped in and had a look and came out and I'd signed up for the Royal Navy for 22 years um, as, a, as an aircraft engineer. And I, I went and joined the aircraft engineer and to become an aircraft engineer for, two, uh, for, for, for 22 years. I did two years service. And then once you get to a certain point in the military, you can join what's called sidewards entry branches. And I found that they had a branch of military photographers. And I thought, oh, that's brilliant. But you couldn't have joined that from off the street. You had to be right. a serving military member to do it. So I applied for the military photography branch. Uh, it's, you had to jump through a lot of hoops to get in there because it was really small. There's only 80 people in the entire armed forces within that. And um, and passed the tests and, and got in. So I became a serving uh, military photographer, which was brilliant. Uh, funny enough, the first ever military job I did on my own after passing through the six months training, which was six months, 28 exams. It was very, very intense. Came out, went to work on a nuclear submarine base for three weeks, um, shadowed by another photographer. And then my boss called me in and says, Jeff, um, we've got a job for your weekend. It's your first weekend to go out, your first job on your own solo. And I went, all right, great boss what is it he says right he says i want you in early on sunday morning he says i want you to drive up to Springbridge at the top of scotland there's a commando memorial there and it's uh, it's the remembrance parade and he says you're going to be prince philip's official photographer oh wow like, oh my god but that's military <laughs> military chuck you in at the deep end and you know what yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> biggest biggest mistake i ever made i remember the the the, the parade pulled up with with his Royal Highness, he got out of the car. Was, I'd been there for about two hours. I must have polished my lens and checked my gear over 50 times. He came out and I was banging, banging, taking loads of pictures, walking along next to him, running ahead of him, getting different shots. And I, and I remember thinking in my mind, oh, my God, I've got loads of amazing. I've got tons, tons, hundreds of amazing images. And then it dawned on me when I thought, I've got hundreds. I hadn't actually put a film in. Oh, no. <laughs> Never made that mistake again in my life. So I say you learn by your mistakes. So then um, uh, I did, uh, after that, after after eight years in the military, I went to work for the intelligence services because they're very, very closely linked to the, uh-huh. to the photography branch. Did two years with them. Loads of people used to come into my office saying, Jeff, you're the military photographer, aren't you? And I was like, yeah, yeah. And I think, great, I've got an intelligence job. And I went, can you photograph me dog? Oh, can you follow, can you photograph my daughter? Oh, my daughter's getting married. Or do you do family portraits? And then I suddenly thought, you know, I, I wouldn't mind doing this as a full time job. So uh, two years later, I left, and I'd met a guy uh, in there who's another military photographer who lived in my local area, and we decided we'd go into business together. But he was married and had two kids. I was still, um, I was dating a girl, but I was, I was married. So he, he says, right, you go out first. You go out first. You get. You set the business up, and if it works, then I'll come out because <laughs> I've got more right. to lose. Right. So, so like I went out, set the business up. But when you leave the military, you get seven and a half grand to spend on on training. So I yeah. thought, well, I'm fairly well trained as a, a photographer. Why don't I spend this money on marketing and branding and learning how to run a business? And then six months later, Kev came out, and he got seven and a half grand. So we, we spent 15000 on on training, which is more than some photographers spend in their entire lifetime. You know? Right. And consequently, because of that, the business just took off. And by 
that was 2004. Within three years, we had five photography businesses, each doing six-figure sums. We had a, a, a wedding business. We had a um, portrait one, which was under the wedding business. We had a, a, a school, nurseries, and kindergartens mm-hmm. type business. Then we opened a boudoir makeover, doing the, the laundry side. Uh, and then we had the commercial side as well. And uh, wow. it, was, it was doing absolutely fantastic. And then in 2015, we split the businesses up. I stupidly bought a pub. I've always fancied buying a food pub. And I thought, I'll buy a food pub. And I, I think be- that's a dream a lot of people have. And then they're like, oh, man, <laughs> food service is tough. <laughs> oh, it was, you know what? I spent, because we did, we had done very well, you know, so I had uh-huh. quite, a, quite a lot of money. So I thought, so I invested 160 grand into this, this food yeah. And uh, it was going to be a bit of a wedding venue as well. And I literally lost the whole lot in 12 months, oh. plus another 60,000 on top. Um, and um, and I suffered a lot from depression. I tried to actually, I've said this before, I don't mind saying it, I tried to drive my car off a bridge. Um, oh, man. Drunk. And I ran away to Northumberland, to the, uh, to, to the middle of nowhere where I live now. And I thought, right, you need to fo- refocus your life, get yourself back in order. I was still doing weddings at the time. And the, the, consequently, the whole breakdown of the pub, I ended up getting divorced as well. So it was, it was a fairly tough time. Mm-hmm. And I restarted my life and thought about creating a training business for photographers on marketing, um, on mindset as well, because I'd, I'd overcome the depression and got through it. I, I went through a very dark time myself and created this program. And now it's it's absolutely going phenomenally. You know, my, my entire life has changed. I'm, I can't remember the last time I was I was miserable, I was unhappy or, or, or raised my voice. And I've... I've I've created a, a program that is, you know, it gives me more freedom. I've got weekends to spend with my daughter. That was one of the big reasons I went mm-hmm. for that after the divorce because I couldn't be doing weddings every weekend because otherwise I wouldn't see my daughter. So, right, right. so last wedding was last year and now I'm, I'm photography free. I'm just purely mentoring and marketing. Uh, and yeah. I'm an ambassador for about eight different companies and, and sponsored by Luxley's labs in Glasgow. So yeah. Wow. Wow. That is definitely the most unique story that I've ever heard for how someone got into photography. It was not just like, oh, I started taking pictures of my kid or my dog. And then like somebody asked, like, no, I joined the military. (laughs) That's, That's incredible. That's incredible. Oh, man. Yeah. I love it. So, I mean, during all that time, when you're running how many different brands? It was like four or five photography brands. You That's probably right. also had to have a pretty good handle on some time management <laughs> and, so, and creating systems and, and things like that. So were you, were you, I mean, you guys probably had associate shooters then for some of those, or were you guys, the two of you doing all the, the photographing for those different brands? Uh, no, so we had, we had um, in the end, at, at our height, we had four photographers and then there was me and Kev. Uh, yeah. And we and uh, two of the photographers did did like the retouching and the editing. And we had uh, two makeup artists and we had a guy who was um, full-time marketing and on, on calls for us as well. He was, he was, he was the guy who, was, who, who took the knockbacks, phoning up places to get us in places. He, he, he sorted out a lot of our commercial jobs, you know, for construction and hotel photography. So he would, he would phone up and try and get us meetings with people. Nice. Nice. That's fantastic. Is that, is the, the, the time management piece, is that something that you've always found something like as, uh, as easy for you? Uh, or is it something that like the military instilled with you? Or how did you kind of start to get a handle on being um, able to manage all that. I think, to be honest, I'm a little bit of a weirdo in the fact that 
I'm one of these. I'm one of these people who, uh, I'm, you know, I'm extremely OCD. So, I, um, you know, you're a control I, enthusiast, not OCD. <laughs> control enthusiast. My, my girlfriend gets in the car and she turns up the volume in the car to sort of like 19. I start sweating and I just can't leave it. I have to have it on an even number. It has to be 20. <laughs> my, my car just. I just changed my car the other week and I was worried that. I, I didn't want to change it too early because I would have got a 71 plate in the UK and so I ended up getting a brand new 22 plate. I'm like, oh, I'm so relieved because I couldn't have <laughs> I couldn't have an, an odd number in my number plate. I would have. <laughs> That's but, hysterical. But I think I am, I am very organ, uh, you know, with one, one of the things about being OCD, one of the benefits of that is that, you know, everything has to have its place. So I yeah. have to do things in a logical order. Now, the um, I'm I'm one of these, like, irritating people who gets up early in the morning and, I, and I'm at my peak first thing in the morning mm-hmm. and I have this little club and I, it's very unique because I don't think anybody else in Northumberland's in it um, and I call it 444 club so my alarm goes off at 444 because it's all even numbers <laughs> and <laughs> I get up and that's when I'm at my most productive and I do um, my important jobs of the day or what I call my consistency jobs early morning because by the mm-hmm. time it gets to two o'clock in the afternoon I can barely function and I have a mm-hmm. have to have a baby nap and then a, a get up and have a coffee, you know. But it's that consistency and, and knowing what I'm gonna do and having things mapped out. Um because I have a bigger goal, but the bigger goal is broke down into tiny, 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 tiny little goals that I do every day when I get up and that automatically fills the bigger goal. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that is definitely a huge thing that not everybody looks at is figuring out when they're most productive. And, you know, I know quite a few people that morning is not their most productive time. Yeah. Uh, for me, it is maybe not quite 444, but like 7am, 7am <laughs> is more my jam and I am, I am good. Um, but definitely first thing in the morning is when I always try to block off if I have to do like any any heavy brain work, um, like creating or writing or something like that. I do that in the morning. And then the afternoon becomes more like admin, editing, um, just like wrote stuff that I don't need a lot of brain power because same thing. And what after dinner, I'm, I'm done. I'm just toast. Like I I can't really function on anything important Uh, where I know some other people that like their day doesn't even get started. Their creativity doesn't start until like the wee hours of the morning. (laughs) So like they're total night owls, Um, you know, so I I think it's all about working with your energy and there's no, you know, definitely no right or wrong, but knowing where it is. It's, it's your circadian rhythm, isn't it? And Mm -hmm. it's, there's three different types of circadian rhythm, you know, it's early morning or you're the sort of like the midday type of person or you're the, the evening person. And, and there's no point in fighting this. And, pe- you know, you read loads of books by like gurus and you know, influencers who say, I oh, got to be up at four o'clock in the morning and then you know meditate and have your super smoothie and run 20 miles. Right. If, you're not, if you're not that person, don't do it, you know, um, do what works for you. And for, for me, you know, I, I I, now I don't set an alarm. I'm just, I, I start to wake up at half four. It's just my natural time. Yeah. And even before I was in the military, I was, you know, I found the military side, right, quite easy. You know, when you had to organize your kit and iron it, I was I was in heaven. I was like, oh, this is brilliant. You know, <laughs> getting up early and all the, everybody else was like in tears, you know, in basic training. And I was like, oh, this is, this is supposed to be hard. I love it. <laughs> but, like, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> Why was I going years ago? Yeah. But um, I think one, one of the big things about goal setting um, 
is that most photographers, what they do, um, and, and you know, I, I work with photographers in about 20 different countries in the, around the world from all different types of niches. And, and I'll say, have you set goals? And they'll go, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to I wanna shoot 50 weddings or I want to shoot 500 portraits and I want to make 150 grand. Mm-hmm. And I'll be like, right, any, anything else? No, that's it. That's my goal. So usually a photographer will set either a financial goal or um, a shoot goal. Mm-hmm. And then that's it. And I'll be saying, well, what are you doing to, to reach those goals? Oh, nothing. I've, 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 at the most, they've written the goals down on a piece of paper and that's it. Right. So I, I say, don't look at the monetary goal. Don't look at the turnover goals. That is, that is, is something to achieve. Look at another goal that will help you achieve that goal and then mm-hmm. work towards that goal. Now, I've got a brilliant example of what I call de- deconstructing goals. So I, I was working uh, with a headshot for co- photographer called Karen Richards. So Karen Richards has got a studio in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. And when I start, first started working with Karen, we started like, you know, where do you want to be? Where do you want to get to? Well, I want to be, I want to be shooting less and I want to be making a lot more money. And I want to make X amount of dollars per year. And I'm like, right. Okay, so what we need to do, Karen, first of all, we need to get you, we need to set you a branding goal. So we need you, you, your brand to be elevated. You've got to look premium because if you want people to pay that amount of money, mm-hmm. you have to have a perceived value. So they've got to land on your website. They've got to see your brochures and go, wow, now this is quality. This is an experience. It's not a photo shoot. So that's one of the big things, first of all, setting that perceived value. So because if you want people to pay more money, they've got to believe that, the value is there. They've got to have that perceived value. So that become one of Karen's first goals was to, to build up the brand. Now, so we thought of a way around this and, and Karen came up with an idea of, um, she wanted to get a hundred five-star Google reviews. Mm-hmm. So in order to get that hundred five-star Google review, she had to have that premium brand, but she also had to have a service that was second to none. She didn't deliver a photo shoot. She delivered an experience right down to the things that, you know, she went out and bought a really nice coffee machine so people had a coffee and enjoyed a proper coffee before the shoot. She got a steamer. She got a, a trouser press. You know, she sent people a, a posing guide and, a uh, you know, how to smile, smile coaching guide and all this sort of stuff. So right from the journey when somebody booked in, they were like, this isn't like any other photography mm-hmm. studio. It is an experience. So as this happened, as she was, how she, as she was, hunting for these Google five-star reviews, which became our main focus, she had to provide this amazing service in order for people to leave this amazing review. The reviews started coming in. As a subsequent benefactor of the reviews, as the reviews came in, her Google rating went up. So our website became to the top of of Google. She's now ranked in either one or two for headshot photographers in Nashville, Tennessee. She's raised our prices four times and she was on a call with us last night within the awesome photographers group, my own group. And she says, I'm going to have to put them up again. Wow. Because she's only now, because she's got the premium brand and she offers the premium service, mm-hmm. the only type of people who she's getting are, are ideal clients who are buying into that. So all the tire kickers, all the freebie hunters, all the people who want a headshot for, for like $50 or $99 and on, on, they get on her website and they go, Oh, that's too expensive for me. And they go away. So mm-hmm. she's she's attracting and she's offering experience, not the shoot, she's selling the benefit. So that one thing of looking for that those five-star reviews helped her elevate her brand, create an experience, not a photo shoot, 
rank her as number one in Google for her area. And she is now the most expensive headshot photographer in Tennessee. So she's the, the, the top price. But she wasn't she wasn't focusing on the money. She spoke to me, and obviously I can't give you figures, but she spoke to yeah, me right, right. last month and she says, Jeff, I've done more in February than the whole of 2019. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, absolutely amazing. She put a little post in, in our private group and shared a bit more of the numbers um, last week. But everybody was like clapping on the back and saying, you know, that is that is phenomenal. You know, and she doesn't come from a photography background. She she comes from a corporate background, and she's she's only been doing this about three or four years. You know, she's she's done the Peter Hurley training um, for headshots, but she wouldn't have got there without that that focus on that that those five star reviews became mm-hmm. the main thing, the main drive. Now, if you just focus on making money, all you're going to be doing is changing the money. And if your brand doesn't change, if your service doesn't change, if your offering doesn't change, if your clients' expectations if you aren't elevated and raised, you're gonna you're gonna find it really hard to chase that money, and it's also hard to get up every day and say, right, I'm gonna make two, yeah, two grand today or five grand today because you don't know how you're gonna make it. So you do other things within your business, and the money starts coming in naturally. Mm-hmm. I love that because I think one of the things that people, uh, pet photographers or just photographers in general, struggle with the most is how to how to get that value across to potential clients. Because I think we sometimes get in our head of like, oh, of course I'm offering beautiful images and beautiful, you know, um, archival wall art and things like that. But actually being able to deliver what we do and the benefits of what we do in a way that somebody, when they come to your website is like, oh, I see this is different. And in that education, being able to explain to them, you know, and help them see what that value is. And then that does, like you said, weed out the, you know, the tire kickers, like looking for everything for 200 bucks uh, versus the people that are like, oh, no, I, I like to pay for value. And I see the value here because I get a a premium service. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a big, big difference. I think one of the other things too that I love that I between your a commonality between like Karen and you and other people that are successful is that you focus on more than just, oh, how do I learn this latest photography technique? It's yeah. actually learning on how can I run a better business because um, we're all in business, <laughs> you know, and, and so many photographers I see that are just like, they're so excited to learn the craft, but they don't want to spend the time or the investment, um, to really like dive into that business piece. But man, it is so, so important. I'm, I'm personally a business nerd. I got into the business of photography. I always loved photography, but I really, really loved business. <laughs> so, I, I it's a, you, such an important piece. When, when we first started up and me, me and Kev were going out and we're going to, to weddings and originally doing the wedding fairs and getting, getting in the wedding bookings, you know, after about six or eight months, because the business started to develop so quickly, we, we started to get a bit of a name, you know, and, and people mm-hmm. were coming to us. And we were, you know, back in 2004, we were charging two and a half, two and a half grand averaging for a wedding. And that was quite a bit of money in, in our area in the northeast of England. We weren't based in London. So we'd created this premium brand. We were getting a lot of bookings. But we could feel there was quite a bit of a resentment f- from photographers, other photographers, yeah. other competitors. We'd go to wedding fairs. We'd walk around, say, try to try and say hello to other people and they'd start closing their albums and, 
because they knew who we were. And you know, and I says to Kev one day, I says, I feel I feel a bit of a cheat and I feel a bit of a fraud because you know most of these people at this wedding fair are actually ten times better photographers than us. And I says to Kev, I says, you know, look, what we've been photographing for the past ten years, it you know he'd been in long, much longer than me. Uh, you know, people run around with guns and, and ships and helicopters. You know, <laughs> the first of a bride we did was for, for for his wife's mate. You know, right. so it was like, and they, these people have been doing it for like 10, 15 years. They had amazing skills, but their brand wasn't connected with the bride, and they didn't have the marketing to do it. You know, so it we I felt like we'd actually cheated, and we didn't really, from a photography point of view, did deserve to have as much success as we did because a lot of people out there would damn sight better, definitely in wedding photography than we were. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I see that a lot. I see, mm-hmm. you know, people that have amazing work struggling to find business and people that have good work. It's, it's technically correct. It's good work, yeah. but it's not like earth shattering, mm-hmm. like doing great in business. Yeah. Um, and that, that really is just the common denominator there. What tips do you have for people that maybe are like, yes, you know, I'm building this higher end brand. I, I want to have this experience. What tips do you have for them of, of the best way to, to elevate that brand? Well, the first thing I say when, when I work with people, it's because what photographers tend to do, no matter what niche you're in, you know, they start, they start looking at other photographers. So it's, mm-hmm. ah, I'll copy him, I'll copy her. And then the next thing they do is they start looking at the cheaper op- photographers. And then they start, oh, my God, that guy down the road's doing an entire family shoot and all the images for, like, $99. Oh, oh I, and then, then they get that, well, not, I, can't, I can't compete with that, I can't. What I say to people is, right, that, that's, you know, because people have come on calls with me, Jeff, yeah, but you work with people in London and New York and Paris and stuff. I live in X area, right? right. There's no money in that area, and that's it. That's rubbish. Absolute rubbish. Yeah, ah, but there's guys down the street charging 99 pounds for photo shoot, and I'll be like, "That's fantastic!" No, like, what do you mean? It's a fantastic one. Well, what they're doing, they're doing you a favour because they're getting all the tire kickers and the time wasters and the people who are pain in the arse, and they're servicing them, so you don't have to because you're going to become a premium brand. So you're not working with those people who are. You're working for people who value you for what you do. You're not working with people who are buying on price. This is to stop looking at the bottom of the end of the market. If you're going to look at any photographers at all, look at the top photographer in your niche, in your geographical area, then look at the top photographer in your country, then look at them in the world, and then check out their social media, then start to think of the particular brands. So thinking about dog photographers, right? So um, if you're going for doggy-type people, people, you know, tend to find a lot of dog people, uh, even in the UK, there's certain brands who they will go for, you know, so they tend to be very outdoorsy type of people. Mm-hmm. So these are people who maybe, you know, like things like uh, North Face or Barber or Bellstaff. So, you know, these are like high-end fashion brands. And then you start to look at the sort of cars. Ah, yeah, Jaguar, Range Rover, you know. So you start to look on the outer. The, the, what you want to do is you want to look at brands that are premium, that um, go with your ideal client type. And what you'll start to see is a common a commonality in the colors, the fonts, the wording. And what you want to do is you want to mirror, mirror yourself on these sort of brands, not on a photographer. Mm-hmm. Because what you're doing is you're selling a premium experience. And if you think about it, right, if you walk past a hotel, like a restaurant, and you've never seen a, 
you've never been in this restaurant before. You're in a new city. You don't know anything about it. And you walk past it and it looks amazing from outside. And it's beautifully done up from outside. And, and, and the signage is all high end and premium. The, you know, the, the fonts look really, really sort of like contemporary and the colors are great. And they've got nice hanging baskets and stuff. And you're like, oh, yeah, that, look, that looks nice. Then you walk in and you pick up the menu and you start reading the menu. And when you read the menu, the first thing you say to your partner is, wow, that sounds nice. It sounds nice, right? Because because the wording creates desire as well. Mm-hmm. So by, by the look on the outside and the wording on the menu, you are now happy to pay £30 for fish and chips where you could have gone in a restaurant down the road and paid £5 for fish and chips, right? But you're happy to part with six times the amount of money. Because mm-hmm. of the perceived value, what you read. So, so with branding, the branding is about your colours, your fonts. It's not. It's not your logo. It's everything you want your clients to think, feel, and believe about what you what you offer. But mm-hmm. more importantly, what you bring to them. Yes. You know? Yeah. And and that's that's the whole thing. And when it comes down to you know you you um, dog photographers, what you're doing is you're capturing that moment in time. You're capturing an image that in years to come will become the, the older that image gets, it becomes more of a priceless investment that you, mm-hmm. you can never replace. I've got a photograph uh, on my stairs of, of my daughter when she was two year old, um, sitting at the base of Ben Nevis, which I took and I've lost that image. So that picture that's on the wall framed, I can never get that picture back. So that picture is now priceless because I mm-hmm. can't go back to that time because my daughter is now 14 year old. You know, so the emotional connection with that picture is even stronger because if, if, if I lost that in a fire, I couldn't replace it. Um, so this is what you're creating for um, the clients. You know, so you've got to communicate that you can, because, I'm, you know, I'm a dog owner myself. Every dog you have has a unique personality that makes them different than the last dog you had. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're capturing your dog's unique personality the things that you love about them, you know, the 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 the, the, the funny way they tilt the head, the funny way they, they curl the lip when they're looking at you, that sort of thing, and you you create that, and it, and it it's not just an image; it becomes part of the home. It becomes a bit of furniture in the home, the wall art. You know, it's, a, it's an investment. So all this needs to be communicated. You're not selling the pictures; you're selling what that actually does for the client, and that becomes very powerful. And then when people read that. The buying into the whole experience and the buying into how it's going to make their lives better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other part of that too is they're buying into that that experience piece of it. You know, where the whole experience from the initial contact and your consult and the session and the sales session all becomes part of that experience. It's like the same thing of eating at that thirty pound restaurant versus like the five pound, like, you know, get it in a bag and go. Yeah. Where you're at the restaurant, it's a beautifully, you know, designed area. You're sitting, you're like slowing down, enjoying the night out. Mm-hmm. So for your session, you know, we're enjoying the session. We're making it fun. We're making it fun for the dog. We're making it fun for the client. And you know, we're delivering the products in a, a beautiful way. If you're meeting them for sales, it's done in a beautiful way. And that doesn't mean that you have to have like, you know, a high-end studio space yeah. that you rent. I mean, I went to people's homes for the first five, six years of my business. And, you know, look at look at all sorts of other industries of a high level of services coming into yeah. someone's home. Yeah. So... You know, I want to squash that if anyone's out there saying, I don't, I don't have a space. I can't do that. No, yeah. go yeah. to them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, funny enough, yeah. so tomorrow morning, Friday mornings, 
uh, my my kickboxing coach comes to my house and we, we yeah we kickbox on the patio but he is you know he's well known within the area within the industry he's built up a great brand he's got a really good brand you know so i'd much rather come and, and work with his brand than go into a gym and do the same thing in the gym you know? yeah absolutely for sure gosh we kind of went on a tangent about branding but i think it was really really important and a really good conversation uh but i do want to kind of bring it back around circle back around for um a little bit of that kind of goal setting Because you totally nailed it before where people set these kind of arbitrary, like wide goals. I have kind of two thoughts here and I'd love to hear your thoughts on my two thoughts. Um, Number one is that people tend to set goals like that. I'm going to have this many number of new clients or I'm going to have this much in sales, which, you know, I like to initially think of that, but I don't like to set that as my goal. I like to then look at that and say, all right, if I want to hit $150,000 in revenue this year, what actions do I need to take? That's ultimately out of my control. So it's like, what actions do I need to take monthly, weekly, daily to get these many leads that will convert to these many clients that'll convert to that much money so that I try to bring my goals down into like my actual actions that are completely binary. Either I did it or I didn't do it, Mm -hmm. which um, I I think a lot of people don't, don't quite take it that far. Is, is that something that you kind of do too, or do you have another take on that? What I do with my clients is that um, I, I wrote a book last year. I put everything I knew into this book called the ambitious photographer's journal. And it's, it's like, I think it's the only one of its type. You've got all these goal setting books. Yeah. So I wrote one just for photographers and brought it, it down so that people would make this a habit. And I tell people to break their, their goals down into eight different segments. Mm. And the first one covers the, you know, the turnover and number of shoots. Um, so that is the, that is the bigger, higher goal that you're going to achieve as a culmination of all these other things. Now, some of these other ones include like branding and then another one comes, uh, 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 maybe website SEO and blogging. So, you know, I'm going to write. So if I set a goal to write, you know, two blogs a month, so that's 24 blogs. I know that from that goal, I will probably, that will help my website rank better. I'll make better connections with potential clients. And from just writing those blogs, I'll probably get new clients as come in and I will add to my email list as well. So four things might happen from that one thing. Another one of the goals is um, social media goal. So it might be, I'm going to post uh, 16 times a month to LinkedIn, 30 times a month to Facebook. I'm currently sitting at 2000 followers on LinkedIn. I want to have, 4,000 followers by the end of this year. I've got X amount of followers on Facebook. I want to have this. So set down those, your physical, don't say, I want to grow my LinkedIn. That's not, that's mm-hmm. not a goal. You know, give a, a definite, definitive goal. And then other goals that I actually put in, I put in like reward goals. Like I want to buy this particular car by, and I actually, you know, I wrote down the make and the model and the type of the car. And I actually ordered mine last last year and I, and I got it and then it fell through last month because you couldn't get it for another three months or I ended up buying a different one. But then I'll have like holiday goals. And one of the other things I have as a goal is, um, is a lifestyle goal. And it always comes down to me, um, a particular, it's, it's getting harder. I'm 52 now is a particular level of fitness because if I don't feel energized, you know, if I go to the gym and I come back, I'm really, I'm much more productive, you know? So I always have that fitness goal because if I, if I'm feeling fit, if I'm, I feel happier, I'm, I'm, I'm better in my, my mental self because I've, I, I've always 
had weight problems, I suppose, since I was a little boy, you know, bordering on being a little bit chubby. So if I keep my weight down, if I keep myself fit, I'm a lot more productive, I'm a lot more happier, and I feel more energized. So that becomes a goal as well. So I set myself a goal, you know, go to the gym. And I think I remember reading this saying that I thought it was absolutely brilliant. And the, the same was, there's no such thing. You know, if anybody says you don't have the time, that's absolute rubbish mm-hmm. because we all have the same time. We all have 24 hours a, in the day. The fact of the matter is you have the time. You're just not making that particular goal a priority. Mm-hmm. So like a, a good analogy to do that is to think about the gym more, you know, cause it's easier to think about the gym than the business side of things. And like, well, if I want to lose a stone, but if I just sit on my backside every day and don't do anything about it, it's not going to happen. But if I make it a priority to go to the gym at seven o'clock in the morning and I'm back home at eight, I'm only there 45 minutes and I come back, that has become a priority and I've done it and I've still got the rest of the day, right? Mm -hmm. I could get up at seven, faff around on Facebook for 45 minutes, drink a few cups of coffee, flick on the TV, and I've just wasted the time that I could have been making, getting fitter and getting healthier a goal. So with my clients, I say to them, you know, set firm goals and do them straight away. So one of the big things I say is, you know, that consistency, consistency reproduces Mm -hmm. like going to the gym, you know, you will get, you You don't go in and do a massive workout and come out and you're like, oh my God, I've like dropped a stone and got loads of muscles. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the biggest piece though, that, that people get uh, frustrated with the gym and also with their business yeah. because that business building piece is such a long game. It's kind of the same thing as the fitness in that you don't notice things day by day, but that yeah. cumulative effort, oh my gosh, all of a sudden now you're like, what happened? My business is really busy. Now I have to raise my prices. I have too yeah, many, too much yeah. demand um, because you stuck with it. Um, yeah. you, you know, I, got, yeah. I, I remember one of my clients who's doing really, really well. She's a personal branding photographer and Thomas. And she's probably, she says she's probably one of the least ex- experienced photographers in my group and uh, an ex teacher. So she's only been doing photography for a few years. So, but Anne's really driven, you know, really focused. She does crossfit. She's like, I think she's, she's, in her late 50, she does crossfit, she squats every day and stuff like that. You know, she's a really driven person. So she was literally, everything I told her to do, she was lapping up on the program. So we got a brand sorted. She was great with the wording for getting all the desire wording right for our brochures and website because uh-huh. she used to be an English teacher. So her wording is amazing. So then I set her away with the, the social media goals and the posting goals. And then I always remember, and I wish, because we joked about it, me and Anna, about a month ago. And I said, I wish I'd kept that email because I, I remember getting up one morning early, opening my laptop, and he's a, an email and the title, my heart sunk, and the title was, Jeff, it's not working. And I could see it was from Anne. And I was like, oh, and she was like, no matter what you do, it's just not working. I haven't brought any money into my business, blah, blah, blah. She sent this, spent this much money on my program. So I was like, right, like, we need a call. So jumps on a call. And I was like, Anne, tell me what you're doing. I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing it. Brilliant, brilliant. How long have we been doing this? So it's about six or, six or eight weeks, something like that. So, and you're doing everything right. I says, imagine you've got a really, really, really long hose, right? And it's stretched out for ages. I says, you turn the tap on, it's going to take a while for it to come out at the end. And I says, mm-hmm. this is what your social media posting is like. I says, how many times are you posting to LinkedIn? And she was like, oh, four times a week. Oh, no, that's, that's good. That's good because you'll still be staying in the news feed. I says, but if you update, you might get a little bit more, but you don't necessarily. She went, right, that's it, Jeff. I'm going to do seven times a week. So she made it a point to do seven times a week, and she does it every morning. Like, 
religiously, 7.30. Mm-hmm. It, it's the first thing she does before she do, before she even opens up our email because email is really dangerous because you open up email. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to post to Facebook. Oh, hang on, I'm just going to check my email. Oh, hang on, look, I'm responding to somebody. Oh, oh there's, yeah. a, there's an offer from, from this particular <laughs> shop. I'll just check, see if that jacket's still in stock. Now it's lunchtime. So she, she does that before she does anything else, post to social media. Um, so she started doing that up the consistency. Consistency is the key. Anyway, mm-hmm. two weeks later, message comes in. Oh my God, Jeff inquiry, send him the prices. He's gone for the top package. I was like, marvelous. Brilliant. Three days later. Oh my God, Jeff, another inquiry. And then this started to happen. And then when she was investigating and, you know, talking to these people, same thing. I've been watching you for about two or three months now. So, you know, on social media, Somebody sees you today. If you mm-hmm. if you connect with somebody today, what we were on the you know, the last day of March, you connect with somebody today, they could potentially be your client in maybe July. Mm-hmm. Right? But what you keep this consistency up in July. So you get the people who your new clients in July, but the people who see you in July, if you keep that consistency going, are going to be your clients in September. And what happens, like you know, like with 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 my business, it it, it then eventually just becomes a constant role, you know? And funny enough, I, um, you know, I, I post LinkedIn all the time. I've got 32,000 followers on LinkedIn. I'm probably one of the biggest in the industry, in the photography industry on, on that platform. Three weeks ago, before the, um, the big photography convention where I was speaking in London on, on a couple of days, I was so busy I couldn't post to LinkedIn for about two or three weeks. Then I posted to LinkedIn. My, my post just bombed because I'd, I'd gone out of people's news feeds. Mm. You know, you've mm-hmm. got to be seen because there's somebody else who'll be more tempting and more interesting will come in your place if you don't keep that. So it's visibility is credibility and credibility leads to authority. And when you've got authority, you can charge what the hell you want. You know, you can get that more money. But it's, if you visibility, if you think about images and posting, that is like the digital currency. You know, mm-hmm. it's every influencer, every person who has like a million followers started with one. They start, they put out their first post and didn't get a like, didn't get a comment. But what made them different is they just kept on with it. They didn't say, oh, this hasn't worked. You know, mm-hmm. and it's that consistency. It's like the people who keep going to the gym. You know, yep. one of my mates joins, joins the gym every January and, and pays for a full year and then never goes. And the next day goes, home. Oh, i gotta i gotta go i gotta do it oh man that's funny um yeah and and, you know i think it can also kind of work with your habits too of trying to create those kind of self rules i know for me if i don't do um you know any workout type stuff or things that aren't fun like for me business stuff is fun i'm like oh Yeah. yeah i can sit at this computer all stinking day to a fault. And then I'm like, Oh, well I can go for that walk later. Oh, I could do this later, but later is never going to happen. If it's a priority, it needs to happen in the first thing in the morning. And then, and it, it becomes, I don't know. I don't know what the like technical, there's probably some technical actual psychological term for this, but like you get that early success in the day and it's like, Oh man, I can do anything today. I've already done this. So you're starting your day with so much momentum. Um, so yeah, I think for me at least, and I know some other people too, it becomes a challenge of choosing 
what the actual priorities are because there's so many things vying for our attention and only so much time. And like you said, like we all have the same amount of time. So if you're not getting something done, you've not made it a priority, Mm -hmm. but we have to basically prioritize our priorities for lack of better term. Right. How Um, we get done with, with my clients is to say what what we have is, yeah, it goes back to that thing. Visibility is credibility. So the first thing, regardless of what jobs you got on that week, don't break the visibility cycle. Don't break mm-hmm. the chain. So before you, you get out of bed, grab your coffee, you post to social media. You've done it. It's done. It, it, it literally takes you 15 minutes. That's it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're on LinkedIn, you might spend another 20 minutes reaching out, sending new connections. Then what I do on a Sunday night is I create one, I must do this job. It must be done by the end of this week. So if I've got to work till midnight the following Sunday to finish this job, I've got to do it, right? But it can be done any time over the course of that week. So you might say, right, one of my must-do jobs this week, I, I always say break things down, you know, because what people mm-hmm. do is they'll go, um, build a new website. <laughs> right. right. And then this this thing like, oh, God, I can't build a new website today. And it just gets put off. Uh-huh. So right, what you do is you, you break that down. So you're not going to build a new website this week. What you're going to do this week is you're going to get your homepage sorted out. So Monday, you're going to set aside an hour and a half on Monday to source the images for your homepage. Don't. And then when you've done that, that's it. Go and treat yourself with a bit online shopping or scrolling through Facebook or do something else, right? You've done that bit. Then, then Tuesday or even Wednesday, you're going to write 500 words towards your homepage or something you start breaking stuff down mm-hmm. um if you have it now one one thing i do like when i did my last book um i knew that my book was going to have uh you know forty five thousand. The, the the linkedin book was going to have about forty five thousand words because i broke the chapters down i roughly knew how many words word count per chapter mm-hmm. so the way i looked at it is the thought of me coming in here every morning early morning when it's dark in the winter writing was a bit of a nightmare and also think, thinking of writing a book. So what I would think is like each week I think of a particular chapter because I knew each chapter probably had about sort of like two and a half to 3,000 words. So I then thought, right, if I can write, write 500 words every morning, but what I'm going to do is I come down on the morning and in my living room I've got this really, really comfy armchair, right? So I thought, what I'm going to do, let the dog out, go in the living room on the morning, I've got one of these woodwick candles and it crackles and it smells lovely and it smells all Christmassy and stuff. Uh-huh. And so light that candle, put the coffee machine on, go out with the dog, come back in, pour myself a coffee, go and sit in the comfy chair with my laptop. And another hack I did was before I went to bed on the night, I switched off my Wi-Fi. Uh-huh. So, so when I go into the living room, I'd leave my mobile phone in the kitchen. So I could, no distractions. Uh-huh. And I go in and I set, um, I have this writer meter app. And uh, you set a timer on it. So I take my word count. So I open up my word document. All right, yeah, I'm up to like 16,000 words. Set, set my word count timer and I just sit and type. And I'm like, after about a week, I'm like, this is amazing. I'm I'm sitting, I'm not writing, I'm drinking coffee. There's beautiful candle. I'm in a really comfy chair and, I'm, mm-hmm. and the words just started flowing. And then I, as soon as the writer meter timer went off, I'd stop and I'm like, oh, I've done 800 words. Mm-hmm. You know, by, by Thursday, I've written the chapter. Then I had Friday, Saturday, Sunday off, and then Monday. I would, so I, mm-hmm. I never wrote a book. I wrote a proportion of a chapter on a daily basis, but I made it. I anchored that chapter right into having a coffee with a candle burning in a comfy jet. 
I made it so much more easier. And if you've got to do little hacks like that to do mm-hmm. things, then then do it. Put some nice music on and, you know, just set yourself a scene to get that done. And I tell you what, the, the feeling of, of doing that every day and then, you know, like this, in the winter it was still pitch black and I, and I wrote <laughs> part of my book and I'm like, oh, my God, I've achieved so much, you know. Right, um, right. And it's yeah. just little daft things like that because it's, you know, time, especially with distractions of social media, you know, you can be one minute, you can check on something. Oh, I'll just scroll through Facebook and then, you're like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, I'd like half an hour has gone. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. I love that. One of the other things I love about that story too, is when you got to that, like, you know, whatever your goal was for the day, the 500, 800 words, it was like, okay, good. I'm done. Because I think what happens a lot of people too, they're like, oh, well, let me keep on going and keep on going. And then, you know, it's like, oh, I haven't worked out in a while. So today I'm going to start off with an hour and a half workout. And then you're like, oh my God, that was way too much. And then you're super yeah. sore and you don't want to do it the next day. Yeah. So it's it's having the, the um, uh, what's the word? The uh, consistency and the, um, gosh, there's a word I'm looking for. Um, anyway, whatever. It's having the consistency to show up and do it every day, but also having the power to be like, not overdoing it. Um, yeah. Because then I think you just shoot yourself in the foot because you're like, oh, if... A half an hour is good. An hour is better. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, and then, yeah. yeah, just so just kind of anyway, sorry, that was just a random tangent of words that I couldn't think of. <laughs> this is why I'm not a writer. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, as, as well, you know, and, and, and I, another big thing, right, for me, like, you know, writing is probably like the last thing I should be doing. I mean, I was, I was kicked out of school because I was a bad lad. My dad was a, a lecturer and my mom was a teacher. Uh-huh. So they were absolutely mortified when I got expelled from school. I got, oh, no. I got no qualifications. And the reason I struggled at school is because I was dyslexic. So you're going back to 1985, 86. Right. I, they, they didn't know what dyslexia was. I was just stupid. You know, so because I felt like a failure and I felt like I struggled through school. I had loads of problems because, and that's where I went off the rails a little bit. Um, but then later on found out, you know, that I'm dyslexic. So my writing is far from perfect, but I do know my stuff. Um, so all I concentrate on getting what's in my head down on that paper, it's, I never read, I don't read it back because if I read it back, God, I'd be going on for bloody ages. I'd I'd get like a hundred words done in a week. My job is to get all this information down. I'll hand it over to somebody else to polish it. In fact, mm-hmm. what I do is I get it all down and then I start at the very beginning again and Word has this read aloud feature and you can pick this woman with a really, really posh voice and she reads my <laughs> stuff and, she, whoa, whoa, whoa. and then she read, and I read through it and you can you can spot spelling mistakes and I'm like, oh my God, that sentence sounds huge because she's, she hasn't breathed all the way through the sentence. <laughs> so I put a few more commas in and it just means when I send it to my proofreader, she go, she doesn't think I'm a complete idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then she edited a bit more, you know, so like, so, you know, pay her a bit of money to do something that yeah. I can't do. And I think with photographers, that is a tendency for us because we're creative people to clutch onto everything. Mm-hmm. Oh God, I've got to design this. I've got to write this. I've got to edit these pictures. You know, there's people, so many talented people around the world who, you know, let's face it, they're probably a lot more talented than we are at certain things. Mm-hmm. We can get to do these things for us for a fraction of the price where mm-hmm. our time is spent being good at what we're good at doing or or focusing on something to get some core foundation to, to send it over. I've got a copywriter who, you know, I, I suddenly realized that 
I spent far too long writing blogs and not getting the blogs done. Then I thought, you know what, I'm going to get a copywriter to do it. So I spoke to my copywriter, Claire, and I says, right, if I just record a video, I'll put the video onto YouTube, you go and watch that video, then you can write that copy in my tone of voice because it's got to sound like me. And that's what she does. So she then, so I create a video, yeah. she then writes the, 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 um, the blog. And then once the blog's written, then I hand that to my designer and that designer creates it as a PDF with images and that becomes intellectual property. So if I'm talking to people and say, oh, you got the advice on that, yeah, I'll send you one of my, my yep. own PDFs on that. You know, so I, I now have about 150, 200 pieces of information, uh, PDFs, brochures, guides on stuff. It makes me look like a real authority on right. It's just building this stuff up. So it's it's looking at, and then that that blog that's been written can then be broken down into 10 Mm -hmm. social media posts. Uh You know, so the blog directs people to the YouTube channel. The YouTube channel directs people to the blog. The blog becomes a a brochure that can be exchanged for people's email addresses or can give to potential clients to, to increase my authority, increase my value to them. And then the blog is broken down to 10 social media posts to keep my social media going. So don't, yeah. there's, there's always loads of way of repurposing everything. And then when you're doing this posting, if you're actively growing your business and actively getting more followers, then keep your posts on a, on a Word document. And then every three months, you can pretty much start from the beginning again. Because if you think about it, you know, I've got 32, say for instance, LinkedIn, 32,000 followers on LinkedIn, a couple mm-hmm. of 40,000 on, on Facebook. Only about 10% of those people are going to see me post anyway. So that's only right. 3,000 of the 32 have seen it. In three months' time, I might have 30,000, 35,000 followers. So I've got 3,000 new people who would have never seen it in the first place mm-hmm. and 27,000 who didn't see it the first time anyway. Yeah. You know, so yeah. And even if they did, they're certainly not going to remember. I know yeah. I've looked back at things and I'd be like, wait, did I write that? Oh, I, I guess I did. Like I wrote it and I forgot about it, you know? So uh, yeah, the, they don't remember either. That's yeah. funny. Somebody, I was actually listening to a podcast this morning and about some social media stuff and they had that same advice. So that's yeah. twice yeah. now I've heard this in one day. So I think I should start doing that more too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my gosh, Jeff, this has been so, so good. Um, I, I love it. And I think kind of one of the takeaways too for everyone is, you know, not to wait to for perfection, just to figure mm-hmm. out like what, what to do and like, let's figure out what you want. Let's break it down and let's start taking the, the first smallest step possible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause sometimes it can seem really overwhelming. Like, you know, I'm starting my business and where do I find these clients or I want to need to build that website or whatever it is. So what's the one thing I can do right now? Yeah. And maybe that is just kind of break down what actually needs to be done that you know mm-hmm. needs to be done. So you have an yeah. outline so you know where to start tomorrow. You know, and, and another thing sometimes if you, if you are thinking about stuff and it sounds too overwhelming, then you've got to take a step back. Because so many photographers, you know, jump on board my program and go, oh, Jeff, I'm, I'm going to want to build my website. And I said, well, there's no point building your website anyway because we, do, we don't have your brand. So right. if you built a website, it doesn't have a brand and it doesn't have a message. You've got to have a brand and a message to speak to your ideal client anyway. And this is, as well, you know, once your website's up there, it's not you're not suddenly going to launch your website and 20,000 people right. are going to flock to it. This is, you, you know, sometimes, and, and especially if, you, if you, you, know, you don't have a lot of funds, you know, get that brand together. Get somebody on Fiverr who's an amazing designer to, to, to get your branding right. And then you're more likely to potentially get clients from blogging and 
social media than you are just coming straight to your website, you know, because mm-hmm. the, the only way to get your website traffic if you're just starting off from scratch is to actually start doing Google ads. You know, it's going to take a while. So you sometimes think, well, right, what's going to bring me on money, bring me money in quicker? Where can I put my focus that's right. going to give me the biggest financial returns? One of the biggest focuses is getting that brand right because if the brand's right, that's going to help you charge a lot more money. And even if you just get two or three more jobs, if you get two or three more jobs at two or three times the more price, mm-hmm. then that's yeah. perfect, you know? And then right. just look at the channels. Other ways is joint ventures. You know, If you team up with a dog groomers who's going to give out your your vouchers every time somebody comes in to get their mm-hmm. dog groomed and they get a 10% commission kickback from the sales of the product as well. That's brilliant. And that hasn't cost you much. It's cost you what? Yeah. $40, $50 for some printed, um, really nice right. flyers that, that they hand out to the people when they come in and get the dog groomed. So mm-hmm. look at ways of it's going to give you the best revenue return for the smallest amount of money and not necessarily the webs building the website and spending weeks on a website and launching right. it there and then not actually doing anything about getting traffic to it. Right. Right. Yeah. The traffic to it is huge. I think a lot of people think, Oh, I just post the website mm-hmm. with beautiful pictures and Oh, that's all I have to do for a business. But yeah. Yeah. it's always about getting, getting our offer, our message and our images in front of more people. Totally. Yeah. Oh man, this has been so, so good. So Thank you so much, Jeff. Um, yeah, let every- enjoyed it. Yeah, it was so fun. Let everybody know where they can find you online if they want to learn some more from you and follow you. So if you go over to LinkedIn, just type in um, The Photographer's Mentor or Jeff Brown, The Photographer's Mentor on LinkedIn. You can connect me with me on my personal Facebook, which is Jeff Brown, The Photographer's Mentor. And my website is thephotographersmentor.com. Perfect. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jeff. It was great to chat with you and um, we will see you around hair of the dog soon. Talk to you soon. Thanks for having me on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of hair of the dog podcast. If you enjoyed this show, please take a minute to leave a review. And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss our upcoming episodes. One last thing. If you are ready to dive into more resources, head over to our website at www.hairofthedogacademy.com. Thanks for being a part of this pet photography community.